0: mindfulness mode
1: water we're mostly bags of water about
0: 70 to 80 percent water just like the earth hundreds of guests have recommended books on the mindfulness mode podcast and i've pulled together the 12 most recommended books into a short 14 page ebook that's free for you it's called 12 must read mindfulness books any one of these books can definitely change your life, just like they have for my featured guests. Download this great free resource at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I know you're always interested in health in nutrition. You're interested in, you know, being a, you know a vegan or experimenting with different things and you're interested in training methods well we have the guy today that can talk about all of those things and more I am so excited to have him with us he's got a, a degree in sports science he's been uh, a bodybuilder champion wow he's just done so much and accomplished so much in his life and has helped so many people I have weighed light Heart with me today. Hey, Wade, are you in mindfulness mode today?
1: I certainly am. I just got out of uh, 40 years of Zen training about four weeks ago, uh, which is kind of the state-of-the-art neurofeedback. And I, I, for listeners who want to really kind of accelerate their meditation or mindfulness, I know of no other practice, and I've been a meditator for 20 years, that can accelerate the results quicker than that kind of feedback system, it's awesome. And so I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a great space, especially this last, uh, I've gone twice in the last <laughs> seven months, so I'm in a good
0: spot. Wow, you, you sound very relaxed, you sound very grounded. That's awesome. What does mindfulness mean to you, Wade? Well, I think it is being able
1: to be present centered uh, in the eye of the tornado of life. And so there is a space that is accessible through a practice, whether that is a meditation practice, whether it's a contemplation or some, usually it's advented from some spiritual intention, but now science is supporting what used to be kind of woo-woo. And it's about finding a center so that you can, move forward in life what i say it's a one of my teachers dr david hawkins says it's moving forward in life through place a yang action but there is a yin hands open position where you are accepting what's coming up in the tornado that often is our life because the human condition as outlined i think by the buddha 2500 years ago you as, as suffering is not avoidable we're all the deeper the love, the greater the pain of separation, the more attached you become to something, the greater the sense of loss that it is, and the more one is attached to the desires of what we want to happen, the greater anguish when they're not present in our life. And in the Western world, which particularly in the last couple of generations has been primarily focused on the accumulation of stuff, And I found that it's the accumulation of experiences as a human being, a physical being is to me, the way that I'm able to maintain mindfulness. Oh, Hey, you know what? Uh, That came, that went, that was interesting. And sometimes it comes back and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, it's to be present fully and enjoy each moment to the best of one's ability. And then also I think there's another aspect of mindfulness and that is recognizing when you're not in that spot is just as important as being within it so i think i think a lot of people um get hard on themselves because they're like oh i'm not being present i'm not being calm i'm not being centered well the fact that you're aware of that is a massive massive
0: insight that you're making progress I want to talk about you as a bodybuilder. This, was this something you got into as a young young man, or did you suddenly get into it a little later? You're a three-time Canadian national all-natural bodybuilder champion, Champion, so tell us about that. How did you get into it?
1: Well, when I was 15 years old, my three really interesting thing happens in a, to me in this very short period of time. One, my parents moved from a small village to a no village. It was five miles to my nearest neighbor up a dirt road. The telephone poles and power poles ended at our door. And it was a beautiful resort. Uh, my parents were caretakers for a wealthy businessman. And the interesting point was is as beautiful and exciting and people want to visit that you didn't want to live there as a 15-year-old boy. I was taken no. away from my friends, my sporting environments, all that sort of stuff. Concordant at the same time, my sister... Uh, after being there maybe a month or two, my sister was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. uh, Wow. Cancer of the lymph nodes. She was four years my senior. And I watched over the next four years her go through the medical model before she died an untimely death at 22. And I was curious during that part. And as tragic as it was, there was some golden nuggets out of it. Number one, I quickly learned that your life isn't a guarantee and your health isn't a guarantee. The, the third thing I learned is that um, life is more morally about the experiences, which we kind of talked about earlier. It's like everything you're going to have to let go at some point. And the sooner you let go of it in your mind, the more you can experience it fully. And so we had a lot of conversations about death and dying and things like that that really impacted me. But also just the physicality of it. I was, I was curious about how the body worked, what produced health, what produced sickness, and how I could avoid that myself. And the third thing that happened – all within this tiny, tiny window, as she gave me a bodybuilding magazine. And on the cover, of the bodybuilding magazine, it was a muscle and fitness, I can still see the cover in my mind clearly. Uh, had Troy Zaklaudow, which just won the Mr. California, two pretty girls in bikinis. And I thought, wow, maybe if I had all these huge muscles that I could attract girls too. So I bought the Joe Weeder lie, as I like to say. And I was uh, working uh, at that time and I bought myself a little York weight bench set and I built myself a gym in my barn and I began training. Uh, You know, I had saw horses and pulleys. It was kind of like that Rocky where he fought uh, Ivan Drago, kind of that kind of style of place. And I'd Mm -hmm. be training and my hands would freeze to the bar and everybody thought I was crazy. But I had met this uh, individual through books by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book um, called... Education of a bodybuilder. And inside that book, he said, I could relate to them. He was in a small town. He was in a weird sport. And he, at that time, was the number one television star in the world. He was married to Maria Shriver. He had this amazing life. He, and, you know, everything that you could want. And he said that if you had hard work, self discipline, and a positive attitude, you could achieve anything in life. And, and I had heard the hard work story because everybody I knew worked really hard for very little. But the positive attitude and self-discipline was a new concept to me. And I, he became my psychological mentor that I just, if Arnold says so, was the defense and, and allowed me the mental fortitude to kind of go against an environment that wasn't necessarily supportive. My parents were supportive, but didn't understand it. My friends didn't get, nobody got it. And then that led me to study exercise physiology at the University of New Brunswick. And then beyond that, uh, I had played hockey and I had strength trained for hockey primarily is where I started. But then once my hockey career ended, I got into, I needed some sort of outlet and bodybuilding became that outlet. I started competing early on. I had no business being a bodybuilder, by the way. I had terrible genetics and a horrible, uh horrible situation to get started in. I mean, I never even had a real gym until I went to university. But uh, whatever, a good fortune and whether it was stupidity or too dumb to quit or, or too, you know, just uh, too stubborn to quit. I don't know what it was. I continued on and eventually won a uh, national championship and went to the Mr. Universe and then had a health crisis and then came back from the health crisis, figured out what that was, which was a great opportunity and then came back and won a couple more titles and went to a few more world championships before I retired. And that became the foundation of my health platform now.
0: Oh, very interesting and why did you decide to do uh do, the, do this as a vegetarian
1: well what happened when i first started there were no drug tested shows and i went and won my provincial championships and went to the national championships and uh, i in. i was with my coach after the national championships and at that time i think I was like i don't know 230 pounds like and i'm at five eight on a really good day so I'm a, i look a little bit like a superhero and at that point in order for me to be competitive, um, you know, at that level or beyond, I was going to have to use uh, a massive amounts of drugs. It'd primarily become a drug cult. And I decided that wasn't a pathway for me. I didn't didn't see myself winning the Olympia. I didn't have the genetics for it. I saw that current winners was Ronnie Coleman and Dorian Yates. And I'm like, it doesn't really matter how much drugs I would do. I'm not gonna win. And that is the difference, essentially. At The, t- the higher levels of almost all spark, uh, the proliferation of drugs is quite common. Mm-hmm. The drug testing oftentimes is a bunch of crap. But anyways, the bottom line was, is there was no o- other option, so I retired. And then I got into meditation in 2000, thanks to um, a unique set of events. And my, long story short, my spiritual teacher showed up and pulled me out of one side of lifestyle and into another one. And I started meditating and started going to group meditations. And then I read a book. uh, It was my teacher's teacher. So my first spiritual teacher was Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote Agrabharavi Yogi. And he had a teacher by the name of Swami Sri Yukteswar. And that teacher uh, wrote a book called The Holy Science, which is a comparison between Hinduism uh, taught by Krishna and Christianity taught by Jesus. And it's a beautiful, insightful book of, where we are, what we're going, what's the right body, what's the dietary, the nervous system, the states of consciousness. It's this amazing book, it's very succinct. And I went, and he suggested for advancing states of consciousness that one should try a plant based diet because it was less inflammatory to the nerves and led to a greater sense of calm. I said, I don't know about that. I'm pretty much a carnivore. I don't know if that's going to work. Let me try this for a couple of weeks. So I tried it for two weeks. I didn't dry up and blow away. So I tried it for two more weeks and I was like, well, I feel pretty good. And then I said, well, I'll do another month. And at the end of two months I just never went back. And it's so I'm not like a vigilante vegan. I'm dietary agnostic. I think people should take, choose a diet that's right for them and all that sort of stuff. But where that relates to bodybuilding is one of the teachings that, uh, Yogananda had stated to me was, if something doesn't exist for you and it's your right desire, then it'll be created by the divine for you. And I'm like, all right, that sounds like a great statement. I've heard a lot of this kind of talk before. Let me put it to the test. How about I come, I get to the Mr. Universe contest. Because that was my dream way back when I was 15, which I had abandoned because of the situation. Well, it turns out drug tested contest had just started. So it would level the playing fields, certainly somewhat on the national level. So I got back into the sport again. I started, you know, training competitively. Now, training and going to the gym is one thing. Getting ready for show condition is a completely different beast. And it takes extreme level of dedication, focus, uh, very excruciating diet, I will say, for an extended period of time to get to these body fat levels. And I was like, well, if he's right, I should be able to go to the Mr. Universe contest on a plant-based diet and uh, without drugs. Now, everybody in my field laughed at me. They all told me that was crazy. That wasn't possible. But I was determined to run the experiment to the end. And interestingly enough, um. I was able to win my championships. My Western championships was qualified. There was one guy, though, who had beat me the year before. And he was good. He was really good. And we were set to meet the next year at the national championships. And as I got through to the, closer to the national championships, it was like, whew, I don't know if we're, we're going to give it a shot. And after 56 years of the IFBB, maintaining the weight classes that it had. It changed the weight classes, separating me and the only person I was not able to beat in national championships. And he won his class and I won my class. And as it would so turn out, the world championships, Mr. Universe was held in Mumbai, India for the first time ever, and I got to go to his place. And what was ironic about that, at the first of the year I'd went to India to um, be support my friend who was in an Indian, he's an Indian, and he, got, and he got married, and I got to go to the kind of like the Indian wedding, which is just absolutely crazy, three days, elephants, fire breathers. It's, it's, it's so wild. It was just awesome experience. And I went to my ashram, Yogananda's ashram at that time, and started meditating and spent some time there. And then I went to another Ashton and they were calling me Mr. Universe at the time. And I thought, that's odd. And then lo and behold, the IFB announces the contest is there. And then I win my national championships and they changed the weight classes. So I didn't go against the one guy that could probably beat me. And I ended up there at the first year and I ended up there the fast year. And I'm like, okay, this, there's something to this meditation thing. (laughs) And, uh, and so I feel very fortunate that I had that experience because it galvanized something that was impossible that I was able to experience ex, uh, experientially. And, and that gave me a significant advantage of continuing to pursue that path.
0: What was your meditation like in the early days? How, how long did you meditate and what form did it take?
1: Um, well, I followed a, a what's called a Kriya path, which is a, a particular step of breathing. And in Yogananda's methodology, you start with a simple breath, um, which is, an intake and on and watching the breath that's so that's how it started. And then there's another technique where you cover your eyes a certain way and close your ears and create energy so that you can see kind of the third eye that's often representative. And if you get really deep, occasionally it shows up and, um, and then beyond that, um, after a number of years, if you feel you want to kind of advance, there's a, some more advanced techniques. Um, which involves running the energy up the spine into the crown and then back down through the spine into the lower area uh, along with certain sounds that go along with it. Mm -hmm. And there's different, more advanced stages beyond that. And so I had just done the first couple uh, before I never even got to the Kriyas, but the time I done all those championships, it was about three and a half, I think almost four years before I did the more advanced techniques that I felt comfortable with. And, and that's also involved and in, um, I was a big fan of David Hawkins, um, who wrote power versus force and a whole amazing series. And he talked about contemplation. So he talked about, um, you know, it's no, it's no point meditating and get out of your meditation and you, you know, you kick the dog and you beat the wife and all that sort of stuff. You know, you, you how do you take the space of meditation into your life? which is a contemplative, which is interesting enough, was kind of like your title, which is Mindfulness Mode. It, it reminded me of how to bring that into your day-to-day living when we're in the middle of the world to be in the world but not of it.
0: Well, I want to ask you about the company BioOptimizers.com. Is that your company? Did you start that company yourself, Wade? Well, I, I started
1: it with a, a friend of mine. Um, so in 2003, after I went to the universe and you know, when this, you know, I'd been this, he, he said to me, Hey, wait, uh, I'm making money online selling courses and stuff. I think this is such an unusual thing. I think we could sell a course. And I'm like, come on, man, nobody's making money online. That's kind of crazy. This is 2003. And he's like, no, I am. And like, we can do this. And, and, and I said, well, I don't even own a computer. I was really into my meditation at that time. I had no electronics in my house and I was kind of spending hours every day meditating, living kind of like a monk. Mm -hmm. And he didn't believe I didn't have a computer. I didn't believe that he was making money online. So we started a company together uh, and it was to actually help bodybuilders avoid some of the challenges that I experienced. And uh, ultimately after we had, we were wildly successful and got a lot of clinical data. We developed some nutritional supplement programs to augment that. But I was also running a holistic health clinic and I started to notice these high performance applications work for real world people. And so a number of about six years ago, because we had left the bodybuilding world, we weren't really so much interested in it. I think it's a great standard. We got into uh, addressing the issues of human optimization and digestive issues are a huge problem for the population. Twelve percent of the emergency hospital visits now are gastrointestinal related issues. Uh, about a third of the population has some sort of digestive distress on any given day and 25% of those are using prescription or over-the-counter medication so we said well how could we serve the world best by cultivating solutions for digestive issues which we did and we built and so the bodybuilding company evolved into a health optimization company which is by optimizers which so the, the whole etymology, we've been running that company now for sixteen years and uh, have become now known as one of the premium health optimization companies in the world. So yeah, all came out of meditation.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And I and I have to clarify by optimizers, and I didn't say it right because it's B-I-O. PT. So it's not bio-optimizers, it's bio-optimizers, right, Wade? You can say it either way. In
1: fact, it's funny you should say that because when Matt and I were naming the company, he liked bio-optimizers and I liked bio-optimizers. We wrote it out and said, let people interpret it the way it wants. And so most people call it bio-optimizers, but bio-optimizers is just fine.
0: <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, you very generously sent me a VIP package with a whole lot of different products in it. And I have to be honest, I didn't really know where to start. I didn't know what to take first. Uh, I know you said that a lot of people experience digestive issues. And how does that show itself? Is that like in uh, pain in the stomach, in the gut, or what?
1: Yeah, well, there's... I'm going to back the truck up and just explain people a little bit how digestion works. So there's a whole saying that's you are what you eat, but that's not true. Uh, It's a single canal from your mouth to your butt. And even though the food is inside that canal, it doesn't mean it's inside the cells of your body. So there is an elaborate process. I break it down into five stages that digestion occurs. So the whole point of eating is to convert food into either energy units or building blocks. That's it. And in order to do that, there's five stages that happen. And then I'll show you, I'm gonna explain this so then people can understand where challenges come. And I'll kind of give some indications so that my goal is not to just, so people understand this. So we start with digestion with taste, touch, smell the food. So if I talk about, Till pickles and sauerkraut, for example, people start to salivate. There's a Pavlovian response as your body switches into that digestive state. We then masticate the food in the first heart. That's a fancy name for chewing. The food then goes down the esophagus and into what's called the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. And it's here where the enzymes present in the food are supposed to break down the food. Ironic part is humans are the only species on the planet that eats cooked food. Cooked food destroys uh, all of the enzymes and all of the probiotics, which would naturally be occurring. So, tigers that take down zebras eat the entrails first, where the enzymes and probiotics are, then they eat the carcass. Bears will eat blueberries or they'll eat salmon, they're an omnivore, and they eat it in a raw state, same process. And if you're a cow or a horse, you'll find the richest, most enzymatically active foods like sprouts and things like that, where you'll get that to get not just the protein, carbohydrates and fats and minerals and all that stuff, but to get the enzymes and the probiotics that assist in the digestion. So in that first upper cardiac portion of stay, this is where the enzymes present are supposed to break down. Well, most of us have cooked food, so we don't do that. So our body has to produce enzymes and that has an energetic drain. We'll get to that in a minute. After 30 to 60 minutes, hydrochloric acid will then start coming into the stomach as the food drops into the lower half of the stomach. Now, Hydrochloric acid serves two distinct purposes. Number one, it is the first stage of our immune system. It's a big part of it. We take hydrochloric acid to disinfect us from parasites, from viruses, from bugs, any kind of pathogen, organism that could disrupt our health or our vitality. The other thing that HCL does is it changes the pH of that food, which will activate some enzymes and deactivate others as it goes from either slightly alkaline or acid to very, 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 very acid. So stomach acid is more potent than battery acid. If you took stomach acid of your stomach and put it on your table here, it'd probably burn right through it. It's that strong, but our stomachs are designed for that. However, um, the ironic thing is, uh, and I'll, I'll actually, I'll get to the, the point. So I'll continue on with the digestion. once that's been broken up further, then the food chime leaves the stomach and what's called bicarbonate buffers, which is a fancy name for alkaline minerals are added to the acid to keep it from burning holes in the intestinal tract. And then as it goes into the final stage of the intestines, the small and large uh, intestines, you have different types of bacteria at different stages. And you this is called the microbiome oftentimes and, or your flora your gut flora, and it's—I always say—it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's 10% good, there's 10% bad, and 80% are opportunists. And we have anywhere from 500 to 1,000 strains. They're discovering new strains all the time. It's very interesting. And they live in this kind of mucoid layer called the um, biofilm. And this is the final stage of digestion that these organisms will then take whatever. Uh, however predigested the food is, and convert that into the energy units or the building blocks. And if this biofilm is disrupted or you have too much bad bacteria or not enough good bacteria, then what happens is we start to notice uh, a variety of situations. And I'll get to that in a minute. And then the final stage is this all food moves through a process called peristaltic contraction, the contraction of smooth muscle tissue that moves this food through. And then you get to elimination and which is proper elimination. So the problems that come up for people, if you're feeling that cement feeling of the food in your stomach, chances are you don't have enough um, enzymes present in the body. The other thing is if you have uh, also, particularly proteolytic enzymes are the ones that we're most deficient in. Uh, If you have a lot of brain fog when you wake up in the morning, um, bad breath, crusty eyes, Uh, or you suffer from not being able in a good mood all the time, it's often you're not converting your proteins into the amino acids that make the polypeptide change to make your neurochemicals. Second thing that happens is if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, you're more susceptible to bacteria, viral, parasitic uh, infections. Um, The other thing is um, oftentimes if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, your food will start to ferment in your gut. And you have a little sphincter on top, of your, uh, on, on top of your stomach that will then stay open if you don't have enough. And some of the acid in food will splash up, creating acid reflux and heartburn. Now, the doctor will give you an antacid. Well, the, the ironic part is he's giving you an antacid. The real situation is you don't have enough hydrochloric acid most times, unless it's some kind of physiological thing like a hiatal ulcer that's pushing up. on on your stomach that's pushing the whole food thing up. But for the most part, the average person after the age of 40 doesn't make enough enzymes and doesn't make enough hydrochloric acid. Final stage is, um, oh, the other thing is if you don't have enough mineralization in your stomach, you're more susceptible to um, ulcers. That acid will leak into the intestinal tract and burn holes in it, calling different ulcers. And then the microbiome, if you don't have the right types of bacteria or you're not eating the foods that allow the good guys to grow and starves out the bad guys, you get what's called dysbiosis. So that's where you get uh, a lot of gas, a lot of bloating. Um, you're susceptible to, uh, all, again, susceptible to all sorts of diseases. And oftentimes they're correlated. They're stacked on top of another And then also the lack of smooth muscle tissue contractibility due to lack of exercise, sitting too much improper hydration or impingements on your nervous system can cause a disruption in the firing and contraction of those muscles, which leads to elimination. So, uh, those areas, Not enough enzymes, not enough hydrochloric acid, not enough bacteria would cover probably 80 to 85% of the digestive issues. It's one of those three or all of those three to certain degrees. And then there's some nuances inside of that, whether it's parasites um, that could be causing problems or particular types of food that you might have an inflammatory response or genetic uh,
0: variants on. And we can solve most of those. Well, let's talk about hydration because I, I personally think that about 80% of the population or more are dehydrated or underhydrated. Do you agree with that?
1: I would actually say it's higher than that. Yeah. Um, I, when I was running my holistic health clinic in Vancouver, Canada, we had what's called uh, an electrointerstitial water machine. And it's a very advanced hydration machine, which actually can tell the hydration level of each organ. Each um. organ runs on a different osmotic pressure, which is fascinating. And water, I'm a, by the way, I, as a side note, I've tested somewhere upwards of over 200 different types of water technologies to this point. Water, we're mostly bags of water, about 70 to 80% water, just like the earth. And unfortunately, most of the water that people are consuming today, whether that's through beverages, sodas, sports drinks, energy drinks, coffee, tea, what have you, much of this water is a a larger molecule. And that molecule has an increased osmotic pressure. In other words, your cells run at about what's called 80 dynes. This is the pressure point, the pressure gradient that's of your cells. And most of the water that we're consuming from bottles and taps and things like this, it's got all these other chemicals or all these agents or plastics are hooked to it or whatever. And so now we have a water that's at 110, 120 dynes. So even when you drink it, the water doesn't go into the cells. It sits outside of the cells in the extracellular fluid, not the intracellular fluid where you need it. And so even people who have been drinking a lot of water find that they're dehydrated and most people just don't drink enough. And so we, have, and, and I think they don't drink enough because water doesn't really taste that good because often it's treated, it's got fluoride, it's got chemicals which disrupt microbiomes that cause all kinds of problems. So we have all these kind of like stacked on issues that we just don't think about because we've gotten yeah. used to it in the world. And the bottom line is uh, we're not attracted to drinking water and the water or the liquids that we're consuming do not hydrate the cells, which we need. And then if you don't have hydrated cells... You have poor electromagnetic communication. You do not produce enough hydrochloric acid because water is an essential element. Your brain doesn't fire properly. Your muscles get stiff and contracted. You're not able to move toxic waste out of the cells. So you increase protein contaminants inside the cells. And all of a sudden you hit to aging and degeneration.
0: Well, I would agree with that. I want to ask you something. Um, We have a water distiller so i drink distilled water but i've i've read different places that water should have certain minerals in it because if if it doesn't your body um what is it your body draws or tries to draw minerals out of it and then there's some kind of an issue well anyway what i do is i usually put some lemon not a lot just a very small amount but that That seems to change the way my body uh, absorbs the water. Tell me what your comments are on that.
1: Yeah, great question. So there's a lot of discussions about what is the best water in the world. And I'm going to end the argument right now because I've gone through all of them (laughs) or most of them. First, there's a great video people can listen to called Water the Great Mystery. I think it's a fantastic you can Google it online. It's all, it's all these top water researchers talking about water. There's also a fellow by the name of Dr. Pollock who wrote The Four Stages of Water. and discovered that water has a four stage. So, water is the only element that exists in nature in three separate states a solid, a liquid, and a gas. Well, turns out Dr. Pollock found out it also exists as a crystal, which is interesting. And water, turns out, has 440,000 that they know of information panels, which can store information, frequency, memory. So the reason you know your name and your address and where your keys are, are because of the storage properties of water. I choose to think of water as a very unique molecule. And as a storage device, it can store all of these agents, very much like you would think of a a DVD player. Now, if I have a plain DVD disc, right? I should say the DVD disc, So a DVD disc, I can put a sports show on it. I can put my grandkids' little league baseball game on it. I could put a horror film on it. I could put a documentary. I could put a spiritual music. I could put a a violent criminal act on it. All of these things is the information stored on the water. And when I play it in the hard drive, my DVD player, myself, it's going to play. And maybe I want to hear that. Maybe I don't want to hear that. And so what most of the devices that people are applying on their water works as the information that they're programming their water with. And by doing so, that means with distillation, one of the benefits of it is it takes out of many of the contaminants that might be present in the water. Now, the water will come out of there probably uh, slightly acidic and with the not minerals and true, it will not, it will start to draw minerals out of the body, essential minerals. Uh, Adding some lime can be uh, effective in in addressing that. Water can have a charge, water can have a a pH level. Water can also has an osmotic pressure, which we talked about. And all of these things will influence the effects of that water. So it's a solvent, it's an information panel, it's a hydration, it is the most unique substance in the world, and we're continually learning more and more about water. It's As, as, as the, the leader on the, uh, or the titled practitioner on that video I referred you to, he comes out with the first month. he's been studying water for over 50 years with the top researchers in the world. He says, well, we don't know that much about water. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's really, really, really remarkable. I've been a student of it. Uh, extensively now for uh, 13 years probably more than that 15 years and it always surprised me it always delights me in one of my books I had uh, the late Patrick Flanagan who was a super genius uh, in regards to water uh, write the chapter uh, edit the chapter on water with all the different water devices that we had explored at that time
0: very very interesting so it's perfectly fine that I add lemon to it then
1: Absolutely. And the most important thing is, is people need to check their hydration levels and uh, you know, people say, well, eight glasses a day. And the reality is, is most people don't come close to it. Also that's kind of a very ubiquitous, I mean, a 300 pound linebacker that trains three hours a day is going to need more than a 90 year old grandmother. Of course. You know, so people have to be prudent in their application uh, of what that is.
0: I listened to you uh, interview Dave Asprey. Do you drink bulletproof coffee yourself?
1: I do on occasion. Um, so one of the things that I believe in is moderation. Everything in moderation, including moderation. So uh, bulletproof is just a couple of blocks from my house. And so oh. I, I go down there and we'll have a decaf bulletproof uh, boat, maybe once a week or something. It's, uh, it's a little treat. It's a great social event that he creates. And uh, I make a really mean bulletproof um there's a a number of my friends will come to my house because they can't get a bulletproof I add some of my I add some of my uh leaky gut products inside the bulletproof along with the uh, coconut oil and stuff and blend it all up and they're like wow this is this this tastes like a vanilla latte and I'm like yeah kind of my little spin on it so I think it's great for people who like and
0: you always make decaf
1: well, I do now, I, I burned myself out on caffeine. I love stimulants. So it's ironic, I have a meditation practice, but my default mechanism is I love stimulants. And so I've experimented with, you know, caffeine to smart drugs and a whole array of nootropics. And uh, I'm, I can, I can easily go down the caffeinated route. And what I've noticed is as my caffeine intake goes past a certain point, my meditation starts to diminish. And the only way I've been able to offset that is through uh, epic dosages of magnesium. So uh, Mm. magnesium seems to be the control mechanism on nervous system calmness. And so if I increase my magnesium, my tolerance for caffeine goes up. And if I drop my magnesium, my tolerance for caffeine goes down. So that's one of the hacks that I figured out after 20 years, but with a lot of uh, horrifically gone wrong experiments
0: with all these experiments that you've done and all this research and all the books you've authored, have you ever been bullied through all of this? I want to know if you have a, if you have a story about bullying where mindfulness maybe would have made a difference if you could apply mindfulness to the situation.
1: Funny enough, a friend of mine is, um, she's here and I coach, I used to be a personal trainer, nutrition coach and, um, I still do a little bit for some really elite VIP product with people, not much of it today. And she reminded me of a situation about, it was about 18 years ago. I was getting ready for the world championships. And so I'm at single digit body fats, really low body fat so low that you can see the muscles contracting in my face as I eat, like the striations in the muscles, right? <laughs> and, the diet that my coach had me on that time involved rice cakes, so it was, which is a high glycemic carbohydrate, but I was stacking it with a protein so I'd get insulin to, to drive the aminos into the tissue. And so I'm sitting there ripped to shreds and this person comes up and says, oh, you can't eat rice cakes. Uh, you know, you'll get fat. And, 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 and completely ignorant to the evidence standing before him that I was might've been the most shredded person he'd ever seen in his life. And I, I, w- I would say that I wasn't that mindful at the moment. I was like, what are you talking? Like, you know, I, I I, yeah. I, I, wasn't able to, and then years later, a similar event happened in 07. I was following a vegetarian diet and I was ripped ribbons again. And someone had made a comment about it similar along those lines. And I laughed it off. It, it, it didn't affect me. So I was like, Oh, maybe this stuff actually works. I'm making a little bit of progress here. So that's great to know. So I was able to handle it a lot much better three years later.
0: Well, that's good. (laughs) I want to uh, move forward in the interview. I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first question for you, Wade, is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life?
1: Dr. David Hawkins, uh, author of Power Versus Force, a great book, Letting Go, was his, one of his last books and a whole series in between probably illustrates consciousness better than anybody I've seen.
0: And uh, number two, how has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: It's great. It's, it's allowed me to first recognize the positive emotions as well as the negative emotions in my life and seek out ways to mitigate the negative and accentuate the positive
0: tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness
1: it's something i practice every morning um breathing is unusual it's both you can do it without thinking or with thinking it's probably the most underrepresented form of health optimization there is i think you can achieve almost anything through great breath work
0: Yeah. And, uh, I'll put those books you recommended by David Hawken into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So that was going to be my next question after that is, are there any apps which can help you with mindfulness or any of the people that you work with?
1: Funny enough, um, one of the things that I've been experimenting recently, uh, was brain tap. And so brain tap is a device and, um, Patrick Porter is the head of the company and it's a device that you put on with an audio headset Uh and a light set, and you connect with an app and you can play a Delta program. You can play an alpha program, a theta program. And so for people who struggle kind of getting into those states relatively easily, it's a very quick way to flip yourself into beta brain, which which we're in right now into one of these uh, different states that various mystics and meditators will talk about. And so once you get a taste, Now you know where you're going in your meditation.
0: Very good. Well, Wade, I feel like we could talk for hours. You've got so much knowledge. You're just a fascinating person. Do you have any uh, final words of advice for our our listeners on just taking the first step to get really healthy?
1: Well, I would say schedule in your mindfulness teaching uh, in the morning and in the night. Make an appointment with the divine and take that time out to do your practice. From that point, I would also say engage in physical exercise, whatever one that you'll stick to. Do those two things first in your day. And no matter how early you have to get up to do it, it sets the tone. It makes it easier to be in a mindful state the rest of the day. If you don't do those things, uh, it makes it much more difficult.
0: Well, that's great advice. Thanks so much for being on the show, Wade. Hey, you know, it's
1: my pleasure. And I don't often get to talk about the mindfulness side of things, or my meditation, or the richness of it. And I just want to—I'm just super grateful that you've uh, brought me onto the show to talk about it. And uh, people want to find out more of our stuff; uh, they're more than welcome to uh, go to Bioptimizers.com/mindfulness. And you'll get a 10% discount on any of our products. And we also have a great course in there if you want to get it. It comes free and we have all the education. And by the way, I'll make sure that my team uh, sends you the information about how to utilize our products most effectively. I've got lots of videos and sites and stuff that'll help you out.
0: Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Wade. It's great to meet you. Great to meet you too as well. Yeah. Yeah. Bye now. Bye-bye. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on mindfulness mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books.